Amen and amen. Uh, Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 15. If you don't have one, I'd encourage you to grab one near you in the chair, under the chair next to you or yours, and um, consider looking at Romans chapter 15 with us together this morning as we consider God's Word for our lives and for our church that I think happen to be very practical and and tangible uh, for the life of our church even this week. Uh, It's been... uh, just wonderful to see the Lord's sovereignty over us as a church as we have uh, preached specific passages uh, in the book of Romans as they've come up uh, when in the life of our country or the life of our church, they're just so very applicable. So uh, this passage is, is no different. In Romans chapter 15, I want to read verse 22 all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 33. I hope you'll read along in your copy of God's Word as well. This is the Word of the Lord. It says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore... I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected. I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Would you bow with me and let's ask the Lord for His help this morning as we consider His Word for our lives. Father, we bow knowing that you are the author of these words. In Christ Jesus, you are the subject of these words. You who left heaven and came to earth to bear our sin and to die in our place, to rise from the dead, conquering sin and death and ascending to the right hand of the Father. Spirit, you are the one who opens our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see and to hear and to know and believe these things to be true. And so we pray you would help us in this moment. Help me uh, to uh, explain and to urge and challenge us to be a people who strive in prayer for your name's sake among the nations. Help us to 
listen attentively, to be a, a people ready to be fed Your Word this morning, that we might be um, a more faithful church in this area of great commission work regarding prayer. Help us, I pray, Lord. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, the title of uh, my sermon is Striving in Prayer for the Will of God. Uh, In Romans chapter 15, Paul had begun his conclusion in verse 14, um, speaking about being satisfied with the Roman church and yet reminding them of the gospel that he had written to them so uh, eloquently in the earlier chapters of Romans, he had spent time boasting not only in the gospel itself, but in the work of the gospel, uh, the work of the Spirit, the work of Christ Jesus. He was boasting in Christ who had done all that had been accomplished in and through the Apostle Paul. And then Paul mentioned in the closing verses of 20 and 21 of that section that Uh, He made it his ambition to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not where Christ has already been named, but in places where he had not yet been named. This was the calling on Paul's life. Paul believed that God had called him to a specific work of taking the gospel to those who had not yet heard it. And I made the challenge last week for you. For all of us as Christians to live our lives with open hands to say, uh, here Lord, use me. Here I am, send me. I'll go if you're calling me to go. And we ought to ask that question, Lord, are you calling me to go and to take the gospel to those who have never heard? But as Joy and I were challenged, even in our own adoption journey, that the question is not, Lord, are you calling me to adopt? But is there a reason why I shouldn't? Are you calling me not to adopt in these moments of life? Are you calling me not to go to the ends of the earth? For there is a command on all of our lives to make disciples of all nations. We're commanded that. That's not a calling that some have and others don't have. We're all commanded to do that. The question is where? And so I'd encourage you to to ask the Lord, Lord, where? Where are you calling me to make the gospel known? To whom are you calling me to make it known? For I know I'm commanded to make the good news known. But where? And for Paul, that was to those who had never heard. But that wasn't the call on everyone's life. For the Apostle Paul had a home church. He had a sending church. The church of Antioch who supported him, prayed for him, um, financed him, and sent him out and affirmed his calling to go and to do this work. And they would be there when he came home, when he needed more support, when he needed encouragement, when he needed rest, when he needed all those things. And there were churches all along the way on his journey that not all of them were called to get up and to leave their homes, for there would not be a church there any longer. But some were called by God to proclaim the gospel right where they are at. And for most of us, 
That's God's calling on our lives for right here and right now. It may change next week as you get a job offer or sense the Lord calling you to, to go in, in a different direction. But for the most of us, uh, for right here, right now, we are at God's calling. God has called us to do this right here, uh, right now, and to do it to do it well, to do the sending well, and to strive, as Paul asked the Roman church, in prayer for those who have answered the call to go to the ends of the earth and to go to those uh, who have never heard, who have never seen. This might be some, one of the most important passages in all of Romans for us as a church as we aim to be a part of the gospel getting to the ends of the earth. This passage, there are great theological passages in Romans. There are great um, applications to our Christian life towards the end of the Romans. But for us as a church, if we want to be the Fields Church, a church in the world, and as we conclude all of our services in our benediction, sent out to be the church in the world and aiming to send money to send people to the ends of the earth to get the gospel to those who have never heard it, knowing they'll be separated from God for all eternity if they don't call on the name of Jesus, having believed on the name of Jesus, then we have to get this passage right. This passage might be the most important one for us as a church aiming to be a church sent out to be the church in the world. And I'm reminded of uh, the... The biography of William Carey, one I mentioned uh, in the sending of one of our own to the ends of the earth to make the gospel known several months ago. Uh, and the story goes that William Carey had done a lot of work to help call people to the mission field and to help make the gospel known to the ends of the earth. And yet he himself eventually since the Lord was calling him to go. And he asked one of his brothers in the faith, one of his close brothers who was helping in that work of aiming to make the gospel known, Andrew Fuller, and said, uh, I will go if you will hold the ropes. I'll go down into the, the pit, which he was describing India at that place, being a dark place, a place without the light of the gospel. I'll go down into the pit if you'll hold the rope. And we said as a church, like Andrew Fuller said of Kerry, that he would hold the rope, that we too would hold the rope for our own who left us and moved overseas to go into one of the darkest places around the world. We said we would hold the rope. And what does that mean? means that we would support them, that we would hold on to them and encourage them, means that we would most, first and foremost, pray for them, asking God to do exceedingly above all we could uh, wish or even imagine, and that He would do that which we didn't, don't even ask for Him to do, that God would do all that they need Him to do. So this is a passage, in a sense, of what it looks like to hold the rope for us, that we ought to be a people striving in prayer for the will of God. Paul had been hindered in the past, 
And now he appeals to the church at Rome to strive in prayer for help in the present situation in hopes that he might visit the church at Rome and be refreshed by them in the future on his way to take the gospel to the ends of the earth where it has yet to be heard. And so we too want to hear God's Word through the Apostle Paul and be a people who strive in prayer for the work of the Gospel around the world because lost souls hang in the balance. We must be a people of prayer as we desire God's will to be done here on heaven, here on earth as it is in heaven. So if you taking notes this morning under that title, I want you to write three headings this morning, a, a past, a future, and a present. And first, it's a, a past hindrance. Just there in verse 22, a past hindrance. Having just said in verses 20 and 21 that Paul made it his ambition to proclaim the gospel where it had not been heard, where Christ had not been named. Paul made it his ambition, his aim, his desire to get the gospel to those places. He says in verse 22, though, this is the reason that I have so often been hindered from coming to you. In writing to the church at Rome, he had longed to be with them. But he was convinced that God had a special calling on his life to take the gospel to those who had not yet heard. And where Paul was at in the areas of modern-day Turkey and Greece and in those areas, Paul believed there was still work to be done. That's why he spent three missionary journeys traveling through those areas and back through those areas and back through those areas. Uh, ever-extending circles on his missionary journeys. He believed up to that point that there was still work to be done which hindered him from going even further all the way to Rome, even though he longed to get there himself. And God had compelled him to stay in those areas and to work. Paul had been hindered. I don't think it was just, though, Paul's ambition and aim that kept him where he was going. There were other things that prevented him from getting to, to Rome. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Paul said, I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. He intended to come to them, he says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul longed to get to them. He wanted to see God do a work among the, the people of, of Rome, specifically in the capital city of the Roman Empire. Paul had desired to, and yet it was his ambition to preach Christ where he had not been named and at the same time, there were things preventing him from getting there. Paul had past hindrances that kept him from making the gospel known to the ends of the earth. And many, if not most, of our missionaries around the world know exactly what that means from the past two years. 
We know many of our own missionaries even having to come home as COVID began shutting down international travel. And yet these missionaries had given their lives, um, some who had already gone and some who got stuck and had to stay, some who were able to come home, and some who had said, we're on our way going, but now we can't go. And you wonder in that moment, Lord, why? Why? Why Why would this come about? Like you have this group of people who willingly gave their lives to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and, and had made it there, and now you're bringing them back. They've only been there three or four months. Why, God? And then you've got others who said, we're willing to go. We've quit our jobs. And then the pandemic hit, and they can't go for two, three years. Why, God? And we have to step back and, like Paul, trust that God, as we sung earlier, is sovereign over all these situations and can turn them for our good. Don't think that our heart for the nations is any greater than God's heart for the nations and that God could use even those circumstances around the nations and even in our own life to further the gospel even quicker than uh, had we gone before. And so we know not only in the lives of the life of Paul that there were past hindrances that kept him from getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, that there have been past hindrances in the lives of some that we know. Um, there are hindrances in our own lives that keep us from getting the gospel uh, to specific people at different times and in, and in different places. And we want to be able to rest assured like Paul, that God is sovereign in those moments. And to continue to be about the work. Don't, don't let that discourage us to the point of giving up. Don't necessarily take that as a sign that God doesn't want you to go. For if, praise the Lord, that wasn't what Paul did, uh, as he has an entire almost chapter of, and list of hindrances that he endured for the sake of the gospel. We're never to take a hindrance, a hardship uh, in our lives uh, necessarily as God saying, no, don't go. Um, but we are to rest assured that God is sovereign over it and to continue to seek him, continue to be faithful at what we know God wants us to do, what we know God's will is for, uh, for our life. Paul realized that a closed door in one place meant an open door in another place. And he was going to continue to be faithful to walk through whatever doors the Lord would open for us. And I pray that that would be true of us. Uh, that if there's a, a desire on our behalf um, to make the gospel known in this area, and yet we find a closed door, that we don't think that that means, well, we don't have to share the gospel. But we look for the open door where the Lord has opened up a place for us to share the gospel. It might be right in front of you in your home. It might be right in front of you in your D group here at church. It might be right in front of you and your neighbor that you look at across the street. It might be at your workplace or at your kid's school or wherever it may be. Let's not think that just because of a hindrance uh, in one area that there's not an opportunity in another area. Paul mentioned this hindrance, 
that he had been prevented from making it to Rome, but it still didn't change his hope. Look in verse 23. Having noted a past hindrance, note now a future hope in 23 and 24. We see him use that, that uh, contrast there, but this is, verse 22 is what was happening in the past. I had been hindered from coming to you, but in verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. One of the things that kept Paul from going to Rome earlier, believing that there were open doors to share the gospel and being convinced he should share the gospel in those places, um, now no longer were hindering him. Because he says that since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Now, what does that mean? It seems like an interesting statement for Paul to say. Does that mean that in all of those places that he traveled to and his first and second and third missionary journey, which he's on right now as he's writing this letter to Rome, that there's every, all of those cities are Christians? And there's just like, First Baptist Church, second, I mean, like on every corner, is there like no room for work any longer in those places? Or is it, as Paul had said earlier in in verse 20 and 21, that his ambition was to preach Christ where he had not been named? That that was no longer the case in modern-day Turkey and modern-day Greece where he had spent many of the years in the past, that Christ had been named in most of those cities. And in fact, in most of those cities, there was a church. There was a church that was able to stay there and proclaim the gospel there, to meet weekly on that, their Sunday there to be able to worship and um, herald the Word of God and apply the Word of God and encourage one another in the faith. Uh, Paul believed that to be the case, and so he said, in most of these areas, the, the gospel has been made known. And so I feel the Lord has released me from there, and now I'm able to go on to the next place. I'm able to go even further and even beyond that. I think this is illustrated in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, and verse 6 through 8. You can read about Paul's time in the city of Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And Paul went there from anywhere from three weeks, three Sabbath days to, you know, some might say even six months. Uh, He was there a short time, but he proclaimed the gospel there in their synagogues and was run out shortly after and went to the next city of Berea. But even in Thessalonica, as he tr- makes his travels, he writes back to that church in that city, and he says of them in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction 
with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Listen. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's northern and southern Greece. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere in that region so that we need not say anything. Paul believed that he'd proclaimed the gospel there faithfully. Believers had been raised up. A church had been established. And the church was now living out Paul's example so much so that Paul didn't need to go back there to proclaim the gospel anymore. And so Paul, one of the reasons that Paul was hindered from getting to Rome, he now believes he's unhindered and and able to go there for there's no work to be done in those regions for him. There's still work to be done. There's still work for the established church uh, there to be done. And they're doing that, praise the Lord. But not only that, he mentions in this future hope of getting to Rome that he's longed for many years to come to them. And so in verse 24, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Notice that Paul's not actually planning to go to Rome to proclaim the gospel and establish a church. Why? There's already a church there. He's simply wanting to get to Rome to meet them, to be encouraged by them, to encourage them a bit simply on his way to Spain uh, where there's not an established church. Someone had essentially gone ahead of Paul to the to the area of Rome. And so he doesn't want to build on anyone else's or steal anyone else's foundation. He wants to use that as a leapfrog point, almost, a launching point. I'm going to be helped on my journey uh, from my sending church, maybe Antioch and Jerusalem. I'm going to get to Rome. uh, But from Rome, I need you to help me to get even further than that. And that's what that word of help. His hope for getting to Rome was to be helped on this future journey all the way to Spain. And it's in that word help that describes um, them meeting both physically and financial needs that he'll have in needing to get to Spain. Not only physical, financial, obviously, as we'll see later, spiritual needs of prayer, uh, but it might even include them in the established church of Rome sending others alongside Paul to help go and establish. It's almost as if Paul's um, kind of saying, hey, when I get there, I'm going to be looking for, for some to go with me to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I need your help in this place to go and, and to do that. And we don't know for sure. This is, you know, one of the best case his, uh, historic ideas of Paul's life. But up through the book of Acts and into his letters, we know that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and eventually imprisoned in Rome at the end of Acts. And from that prison, he wrote several of his letters that we have in our New Testament. Um, but it's believed that he was released. 
And we don't know what happened during that time of release, but we know that after that release, he was imprisoned again where he w- would write um, his letters to Timothy and Titus at the end of his life and where he eventually uh, was killed. And so what happened in that in-between time? We know his hope was to go to Spain by means of Rome. And there's at least one comment in history uh, by Clement, who was the bishop of Rome in the 90s, the the real 90s, in the first century. Uh, He wrote first, what what we know as First Clement, to the church in Corinth. Uh, It's one of the oldest Christian documents outside of the Bible. And in that letter, he says this about Paul, to the whole world he taught righteousness, and reaching the limits of the West, he bore his witness before rulers. And so if Clement writes from Rome and says that Paul made it to the limits of the West on the map, it's thought that Paul may have made it in that in-between times to Spain, but eventually was imprisoned again. We at least know that that was his hope, to make the gospel known to the ends of the earth. And we ought to consider, as Paul had these future hopes of making the gospel known to, again, the ends of the earth, specifically Spain by means of Rome, it was... Also his hope that he would be helped on his journey in the future by the church in Rome. Physically, financially, relationally, spiritually, and even some to potentially accompany him. So church, I want us to consider as we have had the great privilege of sending missionaries out from our own church what it really looks like to help. Uh, As our missionaries have these future hopes of getting the gospel to Asia, to Southeast Asia, to Africa, to Europe, to all of these different places around the world. What does it look like for us to help as Paul was aiming to be helped on his future journey. What did that look like? I don't think Paul just had in mind them sending him off and then forgetting about him. I don't think they had in mind, hey, here's a bunch of stuff to begin with and then go, good luck. And what a better opportunity we have to help in the 21st century than they did in the first century. Church, let me just encourage us to take advantage of so many of those opportunities that we have to help our missionaries as they go around the world to make the gospel known. I can't tell you what a privilege it is as a pastor to consider missionary care for our missionaries as part of my full-time job. I love that aspect of my job. And I want to continue to grow and do it better. But it's not just my job. It's all of our jobs as a church. And you have a a part to play in that. And, And we have the ease and ability to be able to 
text and email and FaceTime at any moment of the day our missionaries to encourage them, to strengthen them, to equip them. Uh, we have the opportunity to send uh, a, an extra gift. Maybe we support missionaries here and there. We have the availability, the means to be able to send a, a bonus gift for them to go out on a date and not to use the money simply for ministry needs. We have the opportunity to buy a $1,000 plane ticket and give up some of our vacation and travel around the world just to encourage and be alongside them. We have so many ways. You could come up with a hundred and thousand more to be able to help our missionaries, to keep them on the field. For the reason that most missionaries come back is because they're tired, because they're worn out, because they don't have the strength to continue, uh, because their home church is far, far from them physically and feels far, far from them uh, as well. And it doesn't have to be that way. There are so many opportunities for us to help. As our missionaries have this future hope of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, church, let's come alongside them in so many more ways this week, this month, this year to encourage them in their work. For if they've been the ones to say, here I am, send me, and they answer that call to be sent we can surely answer that call to hold the rope well and to help them in their future hopes of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. But not only that, in verse 33 and on, we see a present help. A present help. And this is the section where we see Paul's encouragement to the church in Rome to strive in prayer. But before he urges them to strive in prayer for them, he mentions some of his present plans that he needs help in right here and right now. When you look at verse 25, you see the future hope transition to the present in verse 25 where he says, at present, however, no longer talking about the future hope uh, of getting to Spain, but this at present, he says, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, as I said earlier, is northern and southern Greece. That would have been places um, like Philippi and uh, Thessalonica in the north and Corinth then in the south. Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And for they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them, Paul says. Why? For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them, that is the Jews in Jerusalem, in material blessings. Paul is asking for help in this present situation. He's writing, most likely, on his third missionary journey from the city of Corinth, 
which is just across the sea from Rome. How much easier would it have been for him to have sent someone else with the offering back to Jerusalem and for him to just get on a ship across the sea to go to Rome? But no, he felt called by God to make the long journey from Greece all the way back to Jerusalem and then get on a boat and make it all the way to Rome where he could eventually get all the way to Spain. Something, there was something so important about this gift um, that he was compelled to make this longer journey rather than sending it on. What, what was so important about this offering of the Gentiles to the, the saints in Jerusalem? Well, I think Paul's been making that clear through the book of Romans about the unity of Jews and Gentiles. And as he says in regards that the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, that is the spiritual blessings of the good news of Jesus Christ. For the Jews had rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so the gospel, God spread the gospel to the Gentiles who would hear of the good news of salvation and forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ because of His death and His resurrection. They've come to share in those blessings, Paul says. And he goes on to say, then they ought to also be of service to the Jews in material blessings, supporting them. If you'll remember in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, uh, as the church is born, uh, as Peter proclaimed the gospel um, some 50 days after uh, Jesus had uh, died on the cross and been raised from the dead, some 10 days after the early church received the Holy Spirit, um, Peter, or, or as, as they received the Holy Spirit 10 days after Jesus ascended, Peter proclaims the gospel. And thousands respond in faith. And there's a beautiful description of the early church at the end of Acts chapter 2. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship uh, of the church and to prayer. But it goes on to describe them in, in saying that all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were even selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. This is what was happening among the early church in Jerusalem. There were great physical needs. And they were sharing all that they had to take care of those needs as a church ought to do. And that's before the church was persecuted for their faith in Jesus. So imagine how many more needs there were as they were persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. As the Apostle Paul, who, who uh, was known as Saul, really gave affirmation for that persecution in Jerusalem and beyond as Christians were um, taken from their homes or scattered from their homes 
The needs were arising more and more. And yet the gospel was going and scattering and being, missionaries being sent to the ends of the world. And Paul is saying, if you've been blessed uh, by, the, by the gospel because of their work and them taking the gospel, how much more so ought you to help them in their physical needs? And so Paul has been taking up an offering. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, he encourages the church at Corinth, as he did the churches in Galatia, to take up a regular offering on the first day of the week. Uh, that they would be ready when Paul got to them to give that offering to Paul so that he could take it to Jerusalem to help some of their needs to be met. And so Paul presently is in Corinth on his way taking that offering back to Jerusalem. And then he's going to make his way on his, on his way to Rome. And he says... Uh, as he's describing this present situation in verse 28, that when therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. For There's no way that Paul would make it to them except by the blessing of Christ. So Paul's laid out not only his future hope in the earlier verses, but his present plans to go back to Jerusalem to deliver this offering and then to make it to Spain by way of Rome. And so in verse 30, we see Paul's appeal. Paul appeals to his brothers, the brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ whom he's never visited never met, and yet under one family, in the family of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And he appeals to them by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul is not ashamed to ask for prayer. Nor should our missionaries, nor should we. In fact, we should appeal to our brothers and sisters in Christ whenever we have need to strive together with us in prayer. We should be willing to ask one another to pray on our behalfs, to intercede on our behalfs. Paul's already encouraged us earlier in the gospel earlier in the letter to Rome that uh, we when we don't even have the words to pray that the spirit will intercede on our behalf and that Christ Jesus who died on the cross was buried and rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God is interceding on our behalf uh, at the right hand of God but but Paul you know essentially says but there's more to be done I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to strive together with me uh, in, in several different areas. But before I get to those areas that he mentions this, this appeal to be striving, I want to 
striving in prayer, I want to highlight what Paul is really asking from them. What Paul is really in, encouraging them to do. For when we ask for prayer, oftentimes, we, hey, would you, would you say a little prayer? Would you, I, I don't want to burden you too much. I mean, would you just, you mind just mentioning my name at, like somewhere in your dinner prayer? Like just say my name. God will know. I don't, I don't want to burden you too much, but that's not the attitude that Paul had in prayer. Paul was uh, appealing to them and begging them to strive in their prayers. And, and for us in English, that carries some sort of weight um, that unfortunately, I don't know if many of us could describe our prayer life this past week as one that was striving. I mean, there's been moments and there's been seasons in my life where there was a little bit more striving than others but man, I've been challenged this week that, that I need to strive together uh, with our missionaries in prayer. What, what did Paul mean by that? That's the English word um, that we have before us. What did Paul mean? The Greek word for strive that Paul used was soon agonizomai. And soon was just kind of the prefix meaning with. And that agonizomai, you might can hear it in the, in the language, meant with agony. With agony. That Paul was appealing to the church at Rome to agonize with him in prayer. That's not, I'll just, I'll just say a little prayer. Just, just mention someone's name and, just, and then just keep on going. But to agonize to bow our knees before our Father, to cry out to God, expecting Him to hear us, expecting Him to, to, to respond, to agonize in, in weeping even for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are getting the Gospel to the ends of the earth, to, to agonize over these things. This word means to struggle, to compete, to contend to fight and to labor. This is why Jesus told some on the way to Jerusalem to strive to enter through the narrow gate. This is why Paul told Timothy to fight, to strive in the good fight of the faith. And this is why Paul is able to say at the end of his life, I've fought, I've striven the good fight. I have labored. I have competed. I have struggled. Christian, church, do you, do we agonize in prayer? We, we pray, praise the Lord, every Sunday morning for the nations. But as many have given testimony, it's so easy for us to let that person leading up here, lead us in prayer. And while they may have agonized this week over the needs that they've considered in those places and in those churches, uh, it's not as become real to us. And so we don't agonize. We don't strive in prayer. And maybe because we don't give time to it. For if we put some 
time in our busy schedules, I know, but put some time in there to actually give time to prayer. We might find ourselves agonizing in prayer, realizing what our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are, are struggling through. And this is what Paul is asking, and he's not ashamed of it. Let, let's stop being, I understand the humility But let us be bold uh, in asking for prayer. And let us be bold in agonizing for prayer on our missionaries' behalf. For lost souls hang in the balance. Let it not be because we did not strive in our prayers that the gospel doesn't make it to Japan or to India or to Indonesia or to any other places where uh, our loved ones are, are aiming to go. Paul says, pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem, that is in the offering, that it may be acceptable to the saints. I wish I had time. Um, Paul's asking for things here um, that if you were to read the book of Acts, uh, you would find out doesn't seem that they come true. For Paul is not delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. He's actually taken captive by them and imprisoned by the Gentiles in the book of Acts. And so we have to, without getting into all the details, uh, ask ourselves, well, did they not agonize in prayer? Or did God not answer their prayer? I, I, I think We can't assume the first, and so we'll consider the second. But I think it's safe to say that though God may not have answered their prayer like Paul may have liked or like they may have asked for, God and Christ Jesus heard their prayers and answered them. For though Paul was delivered into their hands and put in prison, it was on his trip to prison in Rome, that he made it to Rome. Christ Jesus himself in Acts 23, coming to Paul in a nightly vision, assuring him that he would make it to Rome. I think Christ Jesus heard the prayer, the agonizing prayers of the Romans. I think Christ Jesus answered the prayers of the Romans, though they didn't come in the way that we may have thought And for our missionaries, that may happen too. They may put forth requests that we pray for that don't end up coming true exactly like we want it. They may not even come true at all. Uh, And that may be because they weren't in accordance with God's will. That wasn't God's will for us uh, or for them in those moments. And we have to step back and rest assured again that God is sovereign. Even Paul Um, asked in verse 32 that he appealed to them to agonize in prayer for those requests. Why? In verse 32, so that by God's will. So that by God's will, not Paul's will or the people's will, but that in accordance with God's will, he may come to, to them with joy and be refreshed in their company. 
Paul appealed to them for prayer for specific reasons, but ultimately he submitted those, those prayers to God's will and was asking them too to agonize in prayer, but to ultimately submit their prayers to God's will. Just like Christ Jesus, who prayed to his Father in the garden on the night that he was to be betrayed, Lord, if, there, Lord, if there's any other way for you to save your people other than me having to go to the cross, let it be. But not my will, but your will be done. In our agonizing prayers for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, may we submit our prayers to the Lord's will, for he knows best. And and we may not have the will of the Lord on our mind. We may have the selfish will of protection and ease uh, and and, uh, effectiveness and fruitfulness, and this, that, or the other. And the Lord may have something else on his mind that we don't understand for his glory, for his namesake, and for our good. And yet we don't know that, so we submit our prayers to him. But church, we are to be a people that are striving in prayer for the will of God, for our missionaries, for the sake of the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. So those who have never heard will hear. And those who have uh, never believed will believe. And those who have never called will call on the name of the Lord Jesus to save them. We may not be called to the ends of the earth to go, um, but we are called and are commanded to strive in prayer right here where we're at. And we have a real practical opportunity to do that this week uh, as myself and several others from our church and our um, mother church, Lamar Baptist in North Arlington, are going to be getting on a plane to go to Latvia to, and aims to make the gospel known to students and, and a community, some who've never heard the good news of the gospel. And, and church, I believe our faithfulness and God's fruitfulness in those places is dependent upon you agonizing in prayer for us this week. And I'm not going to shy away and ask you, hey, just, just mention me just in a little prayer. Just, just say our name. Just write down our names and just mention us in a little prayer. I'm asking, would you practice this week and the next couple weeks so that it becomes a habit so that you not only agonize for us in prayer, but that you apply that then to our missionaries and agonize for them in prayer in the days and weeks ahead. Reaching out to them, texting, emailing, asking how can you agonize and pray for them. Asking them what are your needs so that you can get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Meeting that need in whatever way that you and others that you gather around you can do. Church, let's strive. If the Lord has called you to go, go. Say yes today. Find a way to go. Let us know and we'll help you go. But if the Lord has not called you to, to go, then while you're right here, right now, strive in prayer in accordance with the will of God for the sake of His name among the nations. Let's pray. Father,
May we be a people who are willing to agonize in prayer. I don't think that I have seen the image of agonizing in prayer before this week quite like I have. And I'm thankful for the, the challenge. I'm thankful for the rebuke. Holy Spirit, in Your Word this week and my own life, I pray that You would make me one who is able and willing to agonize in prayer on our missionaries' behalfs for lost souls hang in the balance. And I know Your work is not dependent on my prayer alone. And I know Your work is not dependent, Lord, on our missionaries' work alone. But You, in Your sovereign plan, have chose to use us as Your ministers of reconciliation, Your agents of hope as we show and share the good news of the Gospel around the world. And so, Lord, use us in our prayer life. Use us as we give financially to the needs of those who are going. Use us as we support and encourage relationally those who are willing to go. Use those who have answered the call to go, some as children, some as adults, some who may not have even mentioned it to anyone yet, but is willing. Lord, I pray that You would call them to show them that they are to be one of those who takes the Gospel to the ends of the earth and to encourage them that there will be others left behind who will hold the ropes, who will strive on their behalf as they're fearful to take a step of faith. Lord, let this encourage them that there will be others who will come alongside them. And so God, spur us on to be a more faithful, more healthy, praying church in accordance with the will of God and your sake, your namesake among the nations. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.